Welcome back, Tales of Glory listeners. I am your host, Reverend Michael Norton, and believe it or not, we are actually diving back into St. Teresa of Avila's interior castle. We're heading into Six Mansions, Chapter 1 today. There's a lot of cool stuff from the Six Mansions on. There's a lot of great stuff to cover, and it's, I'm pretty excited about this. This is what I want to get into earlier. Like I said, she did most of her writing on mystical experiences in six mansions and there are over 11 chapters to this book. So holy smokes. I thought it'd be a simple, quick intro of chapter one, but she, like she does, she just piles on the details and we're going to look into what the six mansions are and go through a lot of her stuff. I, I'm going to slow this down. I actually broke chapter one up into parts, even though probably was something we could have covered in one episode. But St. Teresa being herself just gives a lot of information to go through here. So this will be part one, and it'll probably be in two parts, hopefully, possibly three parts. Um, part one, we just talk about what the six mansions are, what's the experience in it, and go through a couple of her personal experiences she wants to reflect on here in the mansions. Like I said, this is cool stuff, because in the six mansions, we're starting to get into the awesome stuff. She talks about raptures where there was one incident, probably two, where she was in deep prayer and God literally picked her up off the ground, if you imagine that. And this, I want to say, unfortunately for St. Teresa, was witnessed by some very noble people and word got out when they saw her kind of come off the ground um, as in levitating. So this is not Zen stuff going on here. This is grace of God stuff. And we have... What's cool about this, we start diving into the interesting topics of locutions, which is stuff of interest to spiritual warfare ministers. We start talking about visions and other things going on here that she had. And it's just, it's a cool mansion to be hanging out in and talking about. And there's a lot here. And it's very spiritually deep. In this mansion, your soul is literally lovesick for Jesus. There is some really cool stuff here. So I decided to slow it down and it's going to just take as long as it takes to go through the six mansions. Um, so here we go. There's no bean footage, right? So I don't have anything to cover today. This is not a fireside chat. So let's just go through this and look what's happening here. So the interior castle, six mansions, chapter one, part one. So let's do a quick recap on the fifth mansions, prayer of union of the wills. Remember that was back in the fifth mansion. It's been some times we've covered that. So Teresa described in these mansions, God enters the inner sanctum soul so deeply that when it returns to itself, it has no doubt whatsoever that it shared with God an experience of mutual dwelling. So in this prayer state, it's quiet. It's very um, subtle, but you feel the presence of God. This is uh, like an infused recollection. Remember, recollections of presence of God. So I use that quote out of um, Dennis Billy's Interior Castle, the classic text with spiritual commentary, page 123. A great book to pick up to be reading alongside with this. I kind of wish they made ours hardback. Mine copy's super worn out now. I'm full of highlighter marks and comments. So that was the six, the fifth mansions. Let's look at the introduction here that Dennis Billy has on the six mansions. Teresa devotes 11 chapters of the six mansions, by far the longest and most developed section in the entire treatise. In them, she examines the prayer of spiritual betrothal the mystical state that follows directly from the prayer of union. 
The stage of the soul's inner journey has a lot to do with rarefied mystical experiences such as locutions, visions, both intellectual and imaginative, and raptures. So an intellectual vision is when you're feeling the presence of God. An imaginative vision is when God just uses the camera studio inside your mind and you start seeing visions and pictures and they're, they're very real. Okay, So it's happening inside the mind, but it's real. And by the grace of God, he's putting those images inside you. And we'll discuss those as we move to the six mansions. Okay, what's going on here in the six mansions? Mystical experience of the six mansions are fourth water type. Remember in the autobiography of life, she talks about the four waters. So chapter one, six mansions, introduces the mystical prayer of betrothal. The fourth water is described as rain. It is the highest stage where the soul does not control its senses. And we're going to get into ecstasy of prayer, which is another experience that happens in the six mansions. But for a short time is lost in contemplation and rejoicing. This prayer is generally very short, lasting only a moment or a few minutes at a time most. When this happens, we are abiding in Christ in a way that we know but cannot explain. We also have no memory of what happened during this time, whether we are reading or recalling an event in Christ's life or engaging in vocal prayer. So in this, this prayer of ecstasy that's going to happen in six, man, six mansions, we're going to kind of like she just you're just totally immersed in it and with him. And it's kind of interesting, interesting stuff. This is very, very deep mystical prayer happening here in the Six Mansions. So let's dive in. Chapter 1. This chapter shows how, when God bestows great favors on the soul, it suffers more severe afflictions. Some of the latter are described in directions on how to bear them given to the dwellers in this mansion. This chapter is useful for those suffering interior trials. Here we go again. She's giving a heads up. As we enter into the six mansions, we are going to be experiencing more trials. Trials are the way God aligns us more to go deeper into our interior prayer life with him. We experience trials. Okay, interior castle, six mansions, chapter one, paragraph one. And the header of this one is love kindled by divine favors. By the aid of the Holy Ghost, I'm now about to treat of the six mansions with a soul Wounded with love for its spouse, sighs more than ever for solitude, withdrawing as far as the duties of its state permit from all that can interrupt it. The sight it has enjoyed of him is so deeply imprinted on the spirit that its only desire is to behold him again. I have already said that, even by the imagination, nothing is seen in this prayer that can be called sight. I speak of it as sight because the comparison I used. So what's she talking about here? We had to extract some information. She, she kind of talks about herself in the third person here. Teresa describes a mystical experience where she describes her soul as being wounded for love. She gains a glimpse, an interior vision of Jesus that is deeply imprinted on her spirit. Her experience set her soul on fire, bringing her into an engagement with Jesus. Okay, so in the six mansions, it is a prayer of engagement, or what she calls a prayer of betrothal. And I want to dive over to her autobiography, Life, chapter 28, paragraphs 4 through 7, and she expounds on this one completely. So over from Book of Life, starting with paragraph 4 of chapter 28. 
On one of the feasts of St. Paul, when I was at Mass, there stood before me the most sacred humanity. As painters represent him after the resurrection, in great beauty and majesty, as I particularly ascribed it to you, my father, when you had insisted on it. It was painful enough to have to write about it, for I could not describe it without doing great violence to myself. But I described it as well as I could, and there is no reason why I should now recur to it. One thing, however, I have to say, if in heaven itself there were nothing else to delight our eyes but the great beauty of glorified bodies, that would be an excessive bliss, particularly the vision of the humanity of Jesus Christ our Lord. If here below, where His Majesty shows Himself to us according to the measure which our wretchedness can bear, it is so great, what must it be there where the fruition of it is completed? In paragraph 5, same book. This vision, though imaginary, it's inside her mind, I never saw with my bodily eyes, nor indeed any other, but only with the eyes of the soul. Those who understand these things better than I do say that the intellectual vision is more perfect than this, and this, the imaginary vision, much more perfect than those visions which are seen by the bodily eyes. The latter kind of visions, they say, is the lowest, and is by these that the devil can most delude us. I did not know it then, for I wished, when this grace had been granted to me, that it had been so in such a way that I could see it with my bodily eyes, in order that my confessor might not say to me that I indulged in fancies. All right, so she saw it internally. It was an internal vision. And she kind of wished she said saw it with her, her physical eyes, but she didn't. Because otherwise, the, the confessor's going, hey, you know, you, you kind of made this stuff up, or, you know, your, your soul just went off somewhere and had a happy experience, but it wasn't Jesus. That she meant by her confessor can't say she indulged in fancies, because that's what it is. She had a powerful internal vision, and she knew that she knew that it was God imprinting the image in the imagination of her soul. Cool stuff. Paragraph six. After the vision was over, it happened that I to imagine the thought at once. I had fancied these things, so I was distressed because I had spoken of them to my confessor, thinking that I might have been deceiving him. There was another lamentation. I went to my confessor and told him of my doubts. He would ask me whether I told him the truth so far as I knew it, or if not, had I intended to deceive him? I would reply that I told the truth, for to the best of my belief, I did not lie, nor did I mean anything of the kind. Neither would I tell a lie for the whole world. This he knew well enough, and accordingly he contrived to be quiet. Actually, it says he contrived to quiet me, excuse me. And I felt so much the going to him with these doubts that I cannot tell how Satan could have put it into my head that I invented those things for the purpose of tormenting myself. So even this powerful vision, she was struggling internally. God, did you put this in me? Or is this something Satan put in me? Because I'm having a very uneasy feeling about receiving this picture. Where did it come from? And I want the truth. And I'm telling him I confess the truth. This wasn't just some, you know, glimpse of the imagination. God put it here. And I'm, I have this certitude this happened. I'm certain it did. And there's an internal struggle with her mind right now that she's talking about. In paragraph 7. But our Lord made such haste to bestow this grace upon me and to declare the reality of it that all doubts of the vision being a fancy on my part were quickly taken away. And ever since I see most clearly how silly I was, for if I were to spend many years in devising how to picture myself anything so beautiful, I should never be able, nor even know how to do it, for it's beyond the reach of any possible imagination here below. The whiteness and brilliance alone are inconceivable. 
It is not a brilliance which dazzles, but a delicate whiteness and brilliancy infused, furnishing the most excessive delight to the eyes, never worried thereby, nor by the visible brightness which enables us to see a beauty so divine. Is the light so different from any light here below that the very brightness of the sun we see in comparison with the brightness and the light before our eyes seems to be something so obscure that no one would wish ever to open his eyes again? So she had an absolutely beautiful internal vision that she says can't be replicated by the mind or the soul. And that's what she's stating here. She This is her stamp of approval. No, this wasn't just some cool thing like I'm like during uh, ascetical um, recollection where you pull up Jesus picture in your mind and you pray about it and focus to bring his presence. She's saying this, this was something far beyond what she was capable of doing and God or Jesus placed this vision in her mind. So that's pretty cool. Let's move on. I told you there's going to be a lot here. We're only on paragraph two of interior castle, right? There's just explaining her experiences. I wanted to slow down and put it back into her own words. So here we are in paragraph two. Our Lord excites the soul's longings. The soul is now determined to take no other bridegroom than our Lord, but he disregards its desire for its speedy espousals, wishing that these longings should become still more vehement and that this good, which far excels all other benefits, should be purchased some cost to himself, and although for so great a gain, all that we must endure is but a poor price to pay. I assure you, daughters, that this pledge of what is in store for us is needed to inspire us with the courage to bear our crosses. So here she's describing the soul wants this, um, you know, the, the, uh, the marriage, the spiritual marriage, spiritual union. However, Jesus is going, I know you want it, I know you want it badly, and I love you for it, but there's some things we have to work on here. Let's take some time, let's slow it down before your soul and your spirit are able to accept this, this spiritual marriage. And that's what's going on, she's explaining here. So St. Teresa explains that even though her soul is on fire for spiritual marriage, Jesus now, Jesus tells her she's not ready for the step. As a result, the soul will encounter what? <laughs> Trials. A significant cost to further advance spiritual marriage. The soul must pledge to Jesus Christ for the trials ahead. The soul and Jesus want to go deeper union for the seventh mansions. But Jesus knows the soul is not strong enough for it yet. These new trials will strengthen us for the spiritual marriage stage of prayer, which we're not in yet. Trials are the one key way Jesus takes us deeper in love and trust with him. We bear the pain together like a physical marriage relationship, right? This is a true relationship now. People go, I'm in a relationship. Remember, you always see me harp on that. This is where the relationship takes place. If you're in a marriage right now and you're a really good marriage, I have a great marriage. You guys go through some hardships. It just you, Sometimes you get you know, dragged to the asphalt. But it's these trials that strengthen you and put you in deeper love with each other. And that's what she's talking about here. This is like a our, our marriage on earth is similar to how our marriage is. We're developing Jesus. He wants us to understand that, that we want to go deeper with this person we're, we're in the covenant with. And so some things may not be ready for marriage yet. We do that and we, we say, hey, when do you want to get married? I want to marry you, but there's some things we need to clean up with you first. You know, let's, let's just take a time of year. I will marry you, but let's get this stuff worked out. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. You know, it's not like, no, let's, let's slow it down. It's, the marriage is great. We're going to do this. But there's some things we need first. Make this thing successful. That's where he's going. Awesome. Awesome, Jesus. Awesome. Interior Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1, Paragraph 3. The title is Courage Needed to Reach the Last Mansions. 
Oh my God, how many troubles both interior and exterior must one suffer before entering the seventh mansions? There she goes. She's letting you have it. Sometimes while pondering over this, I fear that were they known beforehand, humanity and infirmity would scarcely bear the thought nor resolve to encounter them. However great might appear the gain, if, however, the soul has already reached the seventh mansions, it fears nothing. Boldly undertaking to suffer all things for God, it gathers strength from almost uninterrupted union with him. Okay, so we're getting stronger through the unions here, and we just want to stay close with him. So as Jesus prepares a soul for the seventh mansions, spiritual marriage stage prayer, the soul will endure many interior and exterior trials. We haven't really talked about exterior trials yet. We're going to. She's going to talk about infirmities and people that get sick. That's an exterior trial or mental issues or, you know, um, depressions or, you know, just, just how stuff will attack us that's outside our interior life. So the soul will realize the frailties of its human state and learn to trust Jesus. I mentioned that before. I mentioned that in some of our spiritual warfare talks too. We have to learn to trust Jesus. We have to. And most Christians don't know how to pray to Jesus, let alone how to trust him. And whether in spiritual warfare or deeper, deeper prayer life, deeper interior prayer life, you have to trust Jesus. That's 100%. That's the relationship with him. And he's going to put us through things to allow us to trust him. And we're not going to like it. So I believe kind of like what she's pulling off of here too, this may be Teresa's poetic reference to Matthew 19.26, which reads, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Right? I had a friend, a pastor friend, you say, um, loving God's easy, trusting him comes hard. And that is so true. Okay, that's the end of her introduction. Um, I tried to um, divvy up these chapters, or excuse me, the paragraphs in chapter one into sections. And I'm calling this section... Um, trials and our pride. And in this section, she's going to, Teresa's going to detail her interior trials with pride. And this will cover um, six mansions, chapter one, paragraphs four through six. So her theme or motif, whatever's going on through here is trials and pride through paragraphs four through six. So let's take a look at them. Paragraph four, she titles it trials accompanying divine favors. I think it would be well to tell you of some of the trials certain to occur in the state. Possibly all souls may not be led in this way, but I think those who sometimes enjoy such true heavenly favors cannot be altogether free from some sort of earthly troubles. Therefore, although at first I did not intend to speak on the subject, yet afterwards I thought that it might be greatly comfort a soul in this condition if it knew what usually happens to those on whom God bestows graces of this kind. For at the time, they seem really to have lost everything. Paragraph 5, titled, Outcry Raised Against Souls Striving for Perfect. I shall not enumerate these trials in their proper order, but will describe them as they come to my memory. Beginning with the least severe, this is an outcry raised against such a person by those amongst whom she lives. And even from others she has nothing to do with, but who fancy that at some time in her life they recollect having seen her. They say she wants to pass for a saint, that she goes to extremes in in piety to deceive the world, and to depreciate people who are better Christians than herself without making such a parade of it, scoffing remarks of the same sort. 
But notice she does nothing except endeavor to carry out the duties of her state more perfectly. Persons she thought were her friends desert her, making the most bitter remarks of all. They take it much to heart that her soul is ruined. She is manifestly deluded. It is all the devil's work. She will share the fate of so and so and who is lost through him. And she is leading virtue astray. They cry out that she is deceiving her confessors and tell them so, citing examples of others who came to ruin in the same way and make a thousand scoff remarks of the same sort. Okay, so my comments here on paragraph five. St. Teresa says she can't explain these in any order, but the least severe comes to mind. Ironically, she identifies pride as the least of these trials. Teresa describes in a backhanded manner a soul that is striving to live in humility. This individual is going throughout their daily life, not seeking recognition. Then their friends and people they aren't very familiar with start speaking ill of them over spiritual progress and outward nature. Again, this soul is not seeking attention nor desires it. This offense is painful trial of the heart because the outcome is that the soul must learn not to be wounded when these attacks occur. St. Teresa explains that in the six mansions, through painful trials, the soul will get to a state where it will be indifferent as to whether people praise or condemn you. And she has a reference here back to her autobiography, Life, chapter 25, paragraphs 18 through 21, regarding her confessors from your autobiography of what was happening here that she was explaining. So, paragraph 18 from Life. Nevertheless, Satan has many devices, and so there is nothing more certain than it is safer to be afraid, and always on our guard, under our learned director, from whom nothing is concealed. If we do this, no harm can befall us. Though much has befallen me through the excessive fears which possess some people, for instance, it happened to me once to me, when many persons in whom I had great confidence and with good reason had assembled together, five or six in number, I think, and all were very great servants of God. It is true, my relations were with one of them only, but by his orders made my state known to the others. They had many conferences together about my necessities, <laughs> for they had great affection for me and were afraid I was under a delusion. I, too, was very much afraid whenever I was not occupied in prayer. But when I prayed and our Lord bestowed his graces upon me, I was instantly reassured. My confessor told me they were all of opinion that I was deceived by Satan that I must communicate less frequently and contrive to distract myself in such a way as to be less alone. Ouch, that's a harsh one there. Yeah, how can that not be an offense on her? Ouch. Okay, 19 from life. I was in great fear for myself, as I just have said, and my disease of the heart contributed thereto, so that very often I did not dare to remain alone in my cell during the day. When I found somebody maintain this and myself unable to believe them, I had at once a most grievous scruple, for it seemed to me that I had very little humility, especially as they all led lives incomparably better than mine. They were also learned men, but why should I not believe them? I did all I could to believe them. I reflected on my wicked life, and therefore what they said to me must be true. So she's fighting not to take on an ungodly mindset that's put onto her by man because they don't understand her experiences. As you go through the six mansions, you will experience this. This is not fun. Your your heart will be in turmoil. And you'll see friends who weren't friends. You know, I've, I've experienced some of this stuff too. It's kind of interesting. It's just, God's going to give you interesting graces. You're going to go, what the heck is going on? Because you're uneasy with it. You're trying to 
arrive at the certainty that this was Jesus that did this with you and you do. And then you get to the point now where I just don't want to share it with people because I don't want to be ridiculed or, you know, have somebody put out or, you know, their, their panties in a bunch, you know, because they weren't having the experience and it's just difficult. And you didn't mean to share the experience to, to brag or one up them. It just, you wanted to share it because you, with somebody you trust, you usually get thrown in the bus. So let's see what her advice is on this. This this is harsh. You will go through this. I've been through this. This is not fun. I've experienced it. Paragraph 20 from life. In this distress, I quitted the church and entered an oratory. I had not been to communion for many days, nor had I been alone, which was all my comfort. I had no one to speak to, for everyone was against me. Some, I thought, made a mock of me when I spoke to them of my prayer, as if I were a person under delusions of the imagination. Others warned my confessor to be on his guard against me, and some made it was clear the whole was an operation of Satan. My confessor, though, he agreed with them for the sake of trying me, as I understood afterwards, also comforted me, and he alone did so. Hmm, that's interesting. He told me that if I did not offend God, my prayer, even if it was the work of Satan, could do me no harm, that I should be delivered from it. He bade me Pray much to God, he himself with all his penitence, and many others did so earnestly. I too, with all my might, and as many as I knew to be servants of God, prayed that his majesty would be pleased to lead me by another way. This lasted, I think, about two years, and this was a subject of my continual prayer to the Lord. Wow, so this stuff will drag out. Notice this, you just don't arrive in the six mansions and go, hey, I'm here, I'm a six mansions person, I hold an office, I'm a prophet, blah, blah, blah. That's garbage the modern church needs to throw out. It's doctrine that doesn't belong here. And she's talking about it too. We need to have spiritual directors. I don't think churches have them. I've seen people run around calling themselves spiritual directors. Um, I don't know if they are or not, but we don't have it at the level where they understand mystical experiences. And some of the people I work with that come in here, I, I give them spiritual direction because it's as, as through the eyes of St. Teresa of Avila. Is this going on? I had to work with people that thought they had um, prophetic offices. And they didn't, and it sounds kind of harsh. Well, Mike, why'd you tell them that? Because it was true. However, they had a prophetic gift. And having this mindset of no humility and, and this pridefulness was actually hindering them. And it actually frees you and gives you more freedom when you're not sitting in an office. Remember, we're just all servants. We can't go, I got an office. I'm a card-carrying prophet. You can't say stuff like that. Here's what happens is God will start maybe drifting away on his graces with you and he'll put you through some harsh trials. We're servants. Yeah, we all have supernatural experiences, but we don't have um, experience above others because we all have different ones. If you want to think of it that way, it's just God loves us all and he's going to give us experiences how he loves us in our relationship. Paragraph 21 of life. But there was no comfort for me when I thought of the possibility that Satan could speak to me so often. Now that I was never alone for prayer, our Lord may be recollected even during conversation. Infused recollection. There it is. He's coming in infused um, presence. He spoke what he pleased. I could not avoid it. And though it distressed me, I was forced to listen. <laughs> right? You sit down, you listen here. I was by myself, having no one in whom I could find any comfort, unable to pray or read, like a person stunned by heavy trials, and by the dread that the evil one had deluded me, utterly disquieted and worried, not knowing what would become of me. I have been occasionally, yeah, very often in distress, but never before in distress so great. I was in a state for four or five hours. 
There was no comfort for me, either from heaven or on earth. Only the Lord left me to suffer, afraid of thousands of dangers. So yeah, he'll drift off like that too and let you process stuff on your own. Hey, you trust me? This is going on here. You can worry about this stuff. You can wrap your mind around it and try to find an earthly answer. But the only thing you can do is just surrender this whole burden to me. And I'll get you through this six mansion stuff. I like how she comments stuff here. It's just, you know, it's as relevant today as it was over like, what was it 600 years ago? It's still relevant. And that's why this, this book is such a masterpiece. She documented different levels of prayer. And I think God took her through some very high levels of prayer so she could document it. And just so we have some sort of roadmap, you know, what's happening when you have this stuff? What's happening when we have visions? What's happening when we have locutions? You know, interesting, interesting stuff. So let's reroute back to our book at hand, Six Mansions, um, Chapter 1, Paragraph 6. She titles it, St. Teresa's Personal Experience of This. I know someone who feared she would be unable to find any priest who would hear her confession. To such a pass did things come. But as it is a long story, I did not stop to tell it now. The worst of it is, these troubles do not blow over but last all her life. For one person warns the other to have nothing to do with the people of her kind. <laughs> right? And you're, you know, I usually see this with very learned um, PhD um, people now. They have their PhDs. They study this, this, and that. And I'm not knocking all PhDs. I've seen some very... Um, charismatic PhDs, which were great people, but they're the ones that they get their PhDs and they're not quite certain if God has does miracles anymore. And they're trying to um, balance out what they learned in seminary school. It's just, I'm thinking of her confessors, the people I encountered when I talked to stuff like this. It's just, it, it reminds me, I'm just, it takes me back to my own stuff I had to deal with. So anyway, you will say that on the other hand, some speak in her favor. Oh, my daughters, how few think well of her in comparison with many of who hate her. that ends a section on trials and pride. We're going to jump into a new section here, reasons for indifference of the soul. And this can be in through chapter seven, excuse me, um, six mansions, chapter one, paragraph seven through 12. In this section of St. Teresa, she explains how God will place trials on his soul. So it becomes indifferent to praises and offenses. Because we talked about earlier with their pride, you're going to just get hammered by people who don't understand what you're going through. They're going to be learned people, and they're going to try to convince you you're wrong. And God keeps coming back in like, don't listen to them. And it, it's a very difficult road to walk down. That's why you need a spiritual director like she did, even though she's bouncing back and forth. I'm so glad she stuck with it. Because you just can't say, well, I'm not listening to these people. God wants you to balance out what's going on externally from these confessors and what he's telling you internally. And you have to come to a place that's at peace, and you have to come to a place that makes understanding what's going on both sides because God does want you to see both views. Just not go, hey, I'll come over here. Just don't listen to those people at all. He's going to want you to weigh out because it's going to tear on your heart. It's going to cause offense, but he's going to bring healing and trials to that. It's going to heal you. And that's what brings you deeper. Am I really experienced what I'm experiencing? Even though this person has his PhD and all these little pretty colored papers on his wall saying, yeah, no, according to my seminary, these things don't happen. You know, stick to the Bible. You know, it's just, it is what it is. So let's dive into this new section, Reasons for Indifference of the Soul, paragraph 7 through 12. Paragraph 7, she labels it, Praise Distasteful to an Enlightened Soul. 
Besides this, praise pains such a soul more than blame because it recognizes clearly that good it possesses is the gift of God and in no wise its own, seeing that but a short time ago it was weak in virtue and involved in grave sins. Therefore, commendation causes it intolerable suffering, at least at first, although later on, for many reasons, the soul is comparatively indifferent to either. So as you dive deeper in relationship, you know, you're going to hey, this person's a prophet, or this person hears this, this person like, you know, has spiritual discernment. And before the church was lifting the person up and not the gifting, and here she's saying, now you start coming at peace with it, like, you know, I wouldn't have any of that stuff without God because he bestowed it on me. It's his gift. And at times when people shift the context from the glory of God to the person, a person in the sixth mansion is kind of like be offended, like, that's a bad taste in my mouth. I'm kind of offended by them saying that, you know, like, okay, I'm going to walk away. It's because these people don't understand. They're not there yet. They don't, they don't get it. It's just some stuff's new to them. It's very exciting, but they haven't been gone through the trials like you have to understand what's going on at this level and why praising you, the person offends you because you know, it's Jesus. It's all Jesus. Ah, I have more notes here from, life that uh, St. Teresa expands upon. So I'm referring back to her autobiography, Life. It's like chapter 28 and paragraphs 18 through 21. Fill in some blanks here, which you just talked about. Paragraph 18. I urged this argument, among others, when they told me that my visions came from the evil one and that I imagined them myself. And it was very often and made use of certain illustrations as well as I could, as our Lord suggested to me. But all was too little purpose, for as there were mostly high, holy persons in that place, in comparison with whom I was a mess of perdition, <laughs> whom God did not lead by this way, they were at once filled with fear. They thought it came through my sins, and so my state was talked about and came to the knowledge of many, though I had spoken of it to no one except my confessor or to those to whom he commanded me to speak of it. Paragraph 19. I said to them once, if they who thus speak of my state were to tell me that a person with whom I had just conversed and whom I knew well was not that person, but that I was deluding myself and that they knew it, I should certainly trust them rather than my own eyes. Okay, so that's the trial, right? Here it comes. But if that person left me with certain jewels and if possessing none previously, I held the jewels in my hand as pledges of great love. And if I were now rich instead of poor as I before, I should not be able to believe this and that they said, that I might wish it. These jewels I can now show them, for who knew me saw clearly that my soul was changed. And so my confessor said, for the difference was very great in every way, not a pretense, but such as might closely clearly observe as I was formerly so wicked, I said, I cannot believe that Satan, if he wished to deceive me and take me down to hell, would have recourse to means so adverse to his purpose of this, of wringing out all my faults, and planting virtues and spiritual strength, for I saw clearly that I had become at once another person through the instrumentality of these visions. Good stuff there. She hammered it out. Way to nail it. Paragraph 20 of Life. My confessor, who was, as I said before, one of the fathers of the Society of Jesus, and really a holy man, answered them in the same way, so I learnt afterwards. He was most discreet man and of great humility, but this great humility of his brought me into serious trouble. For though he was a man much given to prayer and learned, he never trusted his own judgment because of our Lord was not leading him by this way. 
He had therefore much to suffer on my account in many ways. I knew they used to stay to him that he must be on his guard against me, lest Satan should delude him through a belief in anything I might say to him. They gave instances of others who were deluded. All this distressed me. I began to be afraid I should find no one to hear my confession and that all would avoid me. I did nothing but weep. Now that they're isolating her, an interesting trial. It was a providence of God that he was willing to stand by me and hear my confession. But he was so great a servant of God that he would have exposed himself to anything for his sake. So he told me that if I did not offend God, no swerve from the instructions he gave me, there was no fear I should be deserted by him. He encouraged me always and quieted me. He bade me never to conceal anything from him, and I never did. He used to say, so long as I did this, the devil, if it were the devil, could not hurt me. On the contrary, out of that evil which Satan wished to do me, our Lord would bring forth good. He labored with all his might to make me perfect. As I was very much afraid myself, I obeyed him in everything, through imperfectly. He had much to suffer on my account during these three years of trouble and more, because he heard my confession all that time. For in the great persecutions that fell upon me, and the many harsh judgments of me which our Lord permitted, many of which I did not deserve, everything was carried to him, and he was found at fault with because of me, he being all the while utterly blameless. Wow. So this was a servant of God. He knew something, you know, these may have been some truthful mystical experiences going on with St. Teresa, so he stuck it with her. So that, you know, he got some warfare too. You know, Satan doesn't like the mystical stuff happening. I want you to get a picture, like, as the charismatics run through, like I said again, I hold an office, I hold an office. You got to stop that. Because what you'll find out, the more you move through these mansions, from the six mansions on, Satan is going to destroy your relationships. You know, I have people, I have a spiritual mom, I have a spiritual this, present. He's going to destroy that. He's going to rip it apart. Because that means you're leaning on a person. Yeah, okay, they encouraged you, they were a big part of your life, but, you know, Jesus is going, you don't need that. Trust me, you don't need, the only spiritual parent you need is Jesus. You need him, and that's it. Because as you move through mystical experiences, other people, you don't know where they're at, their pride and their, their humility will be offended or upset, you know, that, that you're moving into a deeper region. They won't be happy for you. Okay, I'm saying I'm painting a picture here. And if you hang out with spiritual people and all this stuff, they'll they'll try to tear you apart. It's the human nature. You know, it's it's a heart. That's why God goes, You're not ready for my betrothal yet to be engaged to me, because I need you to clean this part up where you'll be indifferent. Whether somebody praises you or offends you, I just want you to focus your eyes on me and trust me. And this is gonna be the roughest waters to get all of us through. You know, it's gonna be very tough. He's gonna, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna spiritually hurt, it's gonna heart hurt. There are times where I'm just alone, you know, and I've had ministries torn apart um, and separated from because things are happening. And I've seen Satan do some horrible things to ministries where, you know, the people didn't get this trail that God was trying to do and break them down. And they went off and did horrible stuff, so horrible they can't come back to ministry. And, you know, it happened to some people in my past, and I kind of had to erase them from it. You know, it's like, okay, well, they didn't want to listen. So you'll be isolated and alone, and that's how God grows you. But at the same time, you won't be alone. There'll still be people around you. I know I try to explain these things to the heart. You know, people don't get it. Some people close to me, they don't get it. So I just, at this point, it's just all interior. And I talk with Jesus about it, you know.
It'd be cool to have a confessor or something. We don't have those in our church. I don't think they have confessors now that are on the par too of what was going on here. We understand mystical theology. I don't think the Catholic Church has it anymore either. I don't know. Not certain. Paragraph eight. This changes to indifference. The first is that experience has shown the mind that men are as ready to speak well as ill of others, so it attaches no more importance to one than the other. Secondly, our Lord having granted it greater light, it perceives that no good thing is in its own but his gift, and becomes oblivious of self, praising God for his graces after they were found in a third person. Got that? That's kind of what we talked about here. You have to become indifferent to it, and it's going to be all be filtered through Jesus as we go through the betrothal stage. Paragraph 9, humility of such souls. The third reason is that, realizing the benefit reaped by others from witnessing graces given it by God, such a one thinks that is for their profit, he causes them to discover in her virtues that do not exist. Whoa. Paragraph 10, their zeal for God's glory. Fourthly, souls seeking God's honor and glory more than their own are cured of the temptation which usually besets beginners, of thinking that human praise will cause them the injury they have seen to do it to others. Nor do these souls care much for men's contempt, if only, by their means, anyone should praise God at least once, come what may afterwards. Paragraph 11. Perfect and final indifference to praise or blame. These and other reasons to a certain extent Ally the great distress formerly given by human praise, which, however, still causes some discomfort unless the souls become utterly regardless of men's tongues, it is infinitely more grieved at being undeservedly esteemed by the world than by any calumny. And when at least it becomes almost indifferent to praise, it cares still less for censure, which even pleases it and sounds like harmonious music to the ears. Paragraph 12, titled Love of Enemies. Here she goes. Remember, it, um, that was another theme running through the fifth mansions. Love your enemy. The prayer of love your enemy. Remember, it was one of those. I think it was like the third chapter. I can't remember right. Like fifth mansions, chapter three, about the prayer of love your enemy. So love of enemies. Here's a recurring theme. Paragraph 12. This is perfectly true. The soul is rather strengthened than depressed by its trials. Experience having taught it the great advantages derived from them, does not think men offend God by persecuting it, but that he prohibits them to do so for its greater gain. So stronger is his belief than such a person bears a special affection to these people, holding them as a truer friends and greater benefactors than those who speak well of her. That's interesting, huh? Right? Because you know why they're speaking the truth. Somebody speaks well of them, they may have an agenda. Like, oh, I know St. Teresa of Avila. I'm going to hang under her coattails and ride it up the nunnery or something like that. You know, I'm going to work up this place. So yeah, she has special affection because that person who's saying bad stuff may be revealing stuff of trials that needs to be reflected upon in the soul. Very interesting how she presented that. She bears a special affection for these people, holding them as truer friends, right? Because a true friend will tell you what's wrong, even if they're talking behind your back. Not good, though. Not good. But she's saying she's reflecting on the data coming out of this. It's kind of interesting. And if she knows she's at peace with it, she doesn't care what they say. Maybe they move on and gossip elsewhere. Who knows? And that's Six Mansions, Chapter 1, end of Part 1. Next time, we're going to talk about trials with infirmities. 
Um, what happens when the enemy makes you sick and you go through these harsh trials? You know, I know people are going through some harsh stuff. What if you're going through a horrible divorce that's external? What, you know, what if you're going through um, a horrible um, infirmary like cancer or something else? And and how does God use that? You know, He doesn't put it on us. He just the enemy does this, but He uses these trials to strengthen us through these. And we're going to also talk about trials with ill-equipped confessors next time. Um, I have no spiritual exercises for you guys here. I want to start di- diving in deeper to what sort of exercises people did in the six mansions. A lot of it's mystical, but I know they had to do some other stuff too. I'm currently signed up kind of cool with some Catholics. I'm taking some Carmelite um, deep prayer training right now. And I'm going to kind of glean that too as it fits because the woman I'm taking it from is a Carmelite expert in St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross and a couple others. And she's teaching mental prayer and she's teaching some other stuff. And I'm going to glean some stuff off that, you know, just, just be trained directly from the source. Right. And share it with you guys. So we have over 11 chapters to cover. And I think we're going to be broken up in parts like we are here. So I'm not in a hurry. If we skip some spiritual exercises today, I'm going to let you guys off, go have some spiritual recess, go check in with Jesus, go have a good time. But anyhow, I hope you guys love this stuff. We're back on board with uh, St. Teresa of Avila. And I hope you guys liked me inter- interjecting the um, the commentaries too from her autobiography because I think it filled in the, the blanks of what she's talking about. And that's it, guys. You guys are amazing. Go out and do some contemplative prayer. Go out and look at Jesus. We're in the season of Lent right now of 2022. So it's a good time to go out and pray or a good time to go out and contemplate and look at life. Um, here in California, I don't forget a false spring or a real spring, but Go look at life budding right now and, and, you know, just amazing stuff. So until next time, um, we're signing off here at St. Teresa uh, Interior Castle, Six Mansions, Chapter 1 of Tales of Glory. It'll be on a field guide to spiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. It'll be on Spotify as well as his videos now on Spotify too, as well as on YouTube. So, and it'll also be distributed, I guess, Spotify or anchor.fm distributed or to um, other places too, like different podcasts like Google and uh, and um, iTunes. So until then, guys, from the M16 Bunker, God bless.